Welcome to The Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me this week at the Arizona Republic's main newsroom in downtown Phoenix are... I'm Ricardo Cano. I cover education. I'm Aliyah Rao. I'm the local politics and issues editor. Richard Rellis, reporter. And I'm Noah Carvelis. I'm one of the organizers with Red for Ed, and I'm an elementary school teacher in Phoenix. Thanks for joining us, Noah. This week, we're talking education. How will it play in the 2018 elections? We all remember the sea of teachers who descended on the state capitol months ago uh, to demand more funding for public schools. But weeks after that historic walkout, where did all that energy go? Ricardo and Richard, you wrote a story that ran over the weekend that talked a little bit about how this um, enthusiasm for uh, public funding for public schools is uh, playing out in neighborhoods, in restaurants, even over at the Diamondbacks uh, baseball field. Yes, Ricardo and I walked to the plaza uh, (laughs) on a warm day to see the signature gathering. Uh, Teachers seemed to be enthused and reported getting a pretty good number of hits, uh, success. A couple of teachers we talked to made the vow they were going to get a full petition sheet each before they used their tickets to go into the game. Uh, but it, uh, and we've been at a few debates and, and candidate uh, forums uh, and signature gathering places, and it seems that the teachers are saying they're getting good f- feedback, not only from voters, but from businesses that an unusual move are allowing them to collect in places like Mother Bunch and Joe Bot and others downtown. So you're referencing this ballot initiative. It's the Invest in Ed ballot initiative, which would um, tax wealthy Arizonans uh, to raise more money to fund public schools. That money, about $690 million, combined with the money that the Republican-controlled legislature and Governor Doug Ducey approved last session, would put us about where we should have been uh, funding-wise during the 2000 uh, pre-recession era levels, essentially. How are, how are teachers making their case and signature gatherers making their case to, to voters as they're trying to collect these signatures? Teachers are really, um, they're talking about one of the things that, that you just mentioned, actually, that we're, we're trying to get back to our 2008 funding levels here. And I think that's one thing that pre-Red Fred, a lot of Arizonans didn't realize is that we have a funding crisis here. And it's not just that, you know, we're lagging behind or we're towards the bottom of the barrel. It's that we were missing $1.1 billion every single year. That money was just gone. And so that affects every single aspect of the classroom. So teachers are out right now circulating these petitions, and they're sharing that story. And they're saying, look, even after this, we're still missing $700 million, and this is how it affects me. I don't have the materials I need to teach. I can't afford to get dry erase markers. I don't have enough seats for all the students in my classroom. And people understand that. And Everybody, I think, understands how important education is, and that's why there's such uh, tremendous support that you're seeing out on the ground when you're talking with these teachers, because people understand this reality, and they understand the importance of this for our communities and our students. Noah, does this money, you said it puts, puts us back to 2008 levels, but you've also said it solves the funding crisis. Does it solve the funding crisis? So we get this money, and then what happens next? How, how is education in Arizona fixed? Yeah, well, it depends how you define the education crisis. For me, a lot of times I really look at it as making a return just to the 2008 funding levels. But the the thing that we still need to keep in mind is we may not even be at the median at that point. I mean, we still could be lagging far, far behind. 
but I, I think we could safely say we'd probably be out of the crisis zone for then. And so the way that this money is um, essentially allotted here is 60% goes to educator salaries. And we use a, a much different definition than what the legislature and the governor use for educator and teacher. Um, this, this would include essentially anyone who works in the school who's not administrative. So that's your teacher, that's your, um, your person who works in the lunchroom, that's your bus driver, all of these people can receive money out of that, that funding. Again, it does restrict the administrative pay though. So that would be excluded. And then the 40% that's left over, that goes straight to our classroom. So then we can start solving some of these issues where there aren't Kleenexes in the classroom anymore. There aren't pencils for the students to write with. And beyond that, now we can have chairs for every student. We can have smaller class sizes because teachers aren't fleeing the state. We can have textbooks that are updated. We can get Chromebooks in the classroom and we can make Arizona schools look like it's 2018. And right now, in a lot of places, it really doesn't. So um, after the six day teacher walkout, you know, ended in early May and uh, hundreds of teachers stayed, you know, at the at the legislature overnight to, you know, crowd the gallery and, and watch, you know, the sausage get made. Um, I, I mean, how, how did you guys um, decide to, to pivot to the ballot measure um, when, when that decision was made as as the walkout was still kind of being played out? It was a it was a big thing, as you as you put it, for us to see the process. And what a lot of educators, I think, realized and a lot of supporters realized is the legislature is only willing to do so much. And that amount is small. And it's only enough to just kind of get by and, you know, float it down river for next year. And so educators saw that and we realized if, if we want to make the change that we want and believe we need to, and as teachers know we need to, then we need to have something more and we need to... Um, be able to take power in our own hands. And if they won't solve this issue, if they won't do the job that they're placed there to do, then we're gonna have to do it for them. And that was one of the biggest things that we realized. So that's why you see not only invest in that, but you see educators now, like Jennifer Samuels comes to mind, who sat there in the gallery and watched it. And she came back after that and she said, I'm running for office, even though it's so late in the game. And I just saw today, she got everything filed and she's on. And it just shows that dedication of saying like, if they're not gonna do this, we're gonna do this. And if they can't sit down here and legislate, we're going to come down here and legislate for them. We're going to sit in these seats and get this done. And that, that's the general attitude that switched there from when we sat in the gallery and we saw this and we went in the meetings and offices and we were ignored. I think that that is a really interesting point. I think that lawmakers and their staffers and lobbyists, they all live within that, you know, one block area of town and they live it and they breathe it. And there does, I mean, clearly with this issue, there was a disconnect with what the people were feeling and what was happening or not happening down at the state legislature. Looking past November, what are you turning your guys' eyes to next? Do you have a long-term goal of, of how you would like to maybe uh, help the legislature govern? You know, we, we really haven't discussed it at length right now because we're so focused on investment and we're so focused on you know just putting one foot in front of the other and making the changes that we need to gradually that we haven't talked long term but um i'm certainly interested in not having to do ballot initiatives left and right 
or having to go down there and spend your entire week at the Capitol. Um, and we're certainly interested in finding those solutions. I don't know what they look like right now. I think one of the biggest things, though, is having um, educators and community members understand the issues, and, and they do now, and, and making sure that they continue to, but also not only understand them, but engaging with them and engaging with their legislators and holding power accountable. That's one of the biggest things that I hope is lasting from this movement, is holding power accountable and making sure that people understand what's really happening. And the other thing that I think is really important is, um, I think a, a long lasting message of this is the power of standing together with people who are in similar positions. Whether you work at the post office or a school or you're um, you know, a construction worker, that you can realize that you have power when you come together like that. And I think that's one of the most important things that we need to look at here um, moving forward. And I look a lot to our union and Arizona Education Association and, and building power through that. Yeah, when we talked for the story that ran Sunday, you mentioned the different ways that, that power appears and the power looks in Arizona. And people who follow the legislature for a while know there are certain industries and groups that do have a lot of power down there without needing to threaten walkouts or th mm -hmm. <laughs> pull some mass demonstrations. Is, uh, how will the education community get to that level where the, you don't need the threat of a demonstration, a rally, a walkout to get lawmakers to vote the way you wish? Mm -hmm. I think it's really um, building power through our union, honestly. Um, educators are now engaged, and they've, there's also been a little bit of a mindset that's changed where they said, you know, this is what I do, and I'm essentially a martyr, and I make 34K, and I'll never buy a house, and, you know, hopefully I can send my kid to college, and, you know, I do it for the kids. That, that mentality is still there, but now they've also said, but I'm also going to stand up and demand that you pay me a fair wage and demand that my school is a safe working environment. And I think now that we've seen that mind, mindset change and teachers realize that as government employees, their work is inherently political, they're more willing to engage with the unions and with um, labor movements and, and realizing that you're, you're part of that. And so that's what I really look forward to is um, the, the day where our union becomes powerful enough where we don't end up in this situation. And it's all about growing the membership and growing the power of the members. That's the power of the union. And so that's what I'm, I'm really looking forward to. And, and then I think the message is clear that you, you can't strip education funding to the bone because we will take action and we're, we're too powerful to just let it happen again. What about at the local level? We heard a lot of lawmakers during the session say, well, but school districts could have done this and they should have done this and they had enough money for this. What are you seeing at the local district levels in terms of kind of reflecting what the teachers want their districts to be doing? Um, a couple different things. So um, and I'm sure some of you who have covered these things can, can attest to this is when you go to the school board meetings now, I mean, they used to have five or six people in them sometimes, and now you'll see 25 teachers in the red shirts, and they're sitting there, and they're watching, and they're going up, and they're speaking, and they're getting involved, and we have teachers now running for those school board spots. And same thing on our, on our local um, association and union levels. Um, we have places where the entire union leadership has been um, replaced by, like, Red Fred slates, where it's just Red Fred from the top to the bottom, these new... Um, leaders. I'm one of them. I was elected as my local um, president and uh, like Phoenix L. It's completely new faces there with people who have the energy of saying, yeah, we're going to go to the school board and we're going to stand up or we're going to go fight for the bond and override or those sorts of things are, are also really localized. And yeah, you can you can see it firsthand when you go to the meetings. Now there's a, a new energy level that I think will be sustained because they understand that once we get to this point, we can't go backwards. We can't allow ourselves to fall backwards. And we'll be doing everything we can to make sure that that, that idea remains because it's so important. 
And what about the charter schools? I think a lot of people in Arizona assume the charter school teachers, the charter schools aren't part of Red for Ed, but they are a huge part of our education system. So how are they incorporated into all this? We've made a very deliberate effort to say, you know, we might be in two different situations, but when you really look at it, we're, we're still teachers, we're still educators, we still teach in the same state. So we've made a really deliberate effort to bring them in and make them feel included in this. And they have also made a really deliberate effort to reach out to many of us, especially um, people who are kind of on the front lines of this and say, hey, I'm at this charter school and I have your back. And um, I know um, one woman who I know, she, um, her name is Emily, and she was a charter school teacher and she had walked out for two days to, to come support and you know show essentially solidarity with the other teachers. And her school said, if you do it again, you're going to lose your job. And she did it again. She came out the next day and she lost her job and said, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do this because this is what's right. And I think that that moment really encapsulates that that feeling of we're all in this together and we have to stand together because that's the only way we're going to get this done. It seemed when the movement started, it made deliberate attempts to not be partisan, not be Republican versus Democrat. But that night at the at the Capitol, you could hear the crowd in the lobby, the, the cheering and the booing filtered up into the chambers, uh, booing Republicans who were voting for the teacher pay raise plan for the most part, uh, and cheering Democrats who for the most part were voting against the plan. And now we have this, uh, this ballot initiative that, that uh, you assume is, you say will make the ballot. Is it okay that it becomes sort of Democrat versus Republican? Is that just a matter of who's in office now, or is it a really a, a, a left-right situation? I don't think it is at all, and I think, um, I think actually if you look at who was getting booed and cheered down there, there were Democrats mixed in who were being booed. Um, there, are, there are people who the, the movement has been critical of because they don't support Invest in Ed, for example. Um, uh, Steve Farley is one that I know a lot of educators have been critical of, it, but it, it does, you're right, it does fall along partisan lines, and that's one of the very frustrating things about this is there are some um, um, some Republicans who I think are advocates of public education, like uh, Kate Brophy-McGee, but it does um, it does fall along these party lines so often that it, it did get kind of polarized like that. And um, I don't think it, I don't think it should have ever gone that place. I think it's just one of the, the uh, you know, the flaws in having the, the divide that we have with Republicans and Democrats, where everybody kind of picked a side and you, you stick with your rank and you stick with your, your team and that's just kind of how it happened. And now with the, the ballot initiative again, I think we can really just look at the issues here and we can say, we need new revenue streams. And what we know from the polling is that Arizonans support this revenue stream overwhelmingly. And things like sales tax are inherently regressive. And so we're looking at who can afford to, to help us you know, add that, that cushion to this. And that's, that's where we look to this. And I don't think that needs to be inherently left or right. And I think um, there have been some great stories done. One comes to mind by the New York Times where they talked to conservative, Republican, Trump voters. Um, I mean, you name it on the right. And they were pro Red for Ed, they were pro Invest in Ed, and they understand like we need to make a change. We have to do something. I was talking to a woman the other day who um, she was just like, I'm a huge fan of Ducey, but I support you guys. I support this. And she put it so simply. She said, we have to do something. And that's really where we're at right now. If you're on the left or the right, whether you're a conservative or a liberal, we have to come together and we have to do something. Give us a quick update on the ballot initiative. Saturday's rally 
kind of less of a crowd than you mm -hmm. uh, anticipated. What is the uh, your reaction to Saturday's rally, and how are the signature numbers looking? The signatures were good. Um, I haven't heard the overall statewide count, but we had over 5,000 signatures in about three hours that day. Um, we were hoping for a really huge turnout, as, as we always are, but still we ended up with one of um, definitely the biggest canvas I've ever seen. Um, we had about 200 people. I mean, coming out, getting 200 people to um, come out there and circulate those petitions is great. I mean, we couldn't have imagined that a year or two ago that we would be able to put 200 teachers at the Capitol on a Saturday to go out and get petitions and just... On a warm Saturday, we should have. very warm Saturday, yeah, about 110 degrees. So um, it was it was great. Of course, you always want more. We would love to have five, 10, 5,000 more people there, but um, we had a great turnout and it was a great canvas and we had, uh, yeah, about 5,000 signatures come in and we were really looking at that data, keep us on track and kind of give us a boost boost towards the finish line and it did that. So, um, But take us behind the curtain. Are you going to make it to the ballot? Right now, I think I think we are. I'm I'm hopeful that we are. Um, I'm confident that we are. But these things happen so quick, or they don't have to happen so quick. But ours happens so quick. Um, so it's uh, it's very similar to the situation SOS Arizona was in, where it's like, all right, we got two or three months here. Let's do this, and it's um it's quick. And 250,000 signatures. That's our goal. Is a lot. So we're on track right now. But um, we'll see what happens. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a ton of legal challenges too. And we're just gearing up for that. That next. I think we're going to be there and be able to move on to that phase shortly here. So I can envision the email blast that we are all going to get in our inboxes the moment you file. Um, they are going to say things like this ballot initiative targets only the richest of the rich when education is everyone's burden. Higher rates may depress entrepreneurship and business growth. What is your plan to combat the barrage of messaging that uh, will surely come and will be funded by business groups, perhaps people like the, the Chamber of Commerce and uh, Ducey allies who mm -hmm. see this as a threat to their agenda moving forward? Well, a couple things, depending on, on what issues come up. But I, I think of the Red Fred walkout and the movement and what happened. I mean, they they fired up the PR machines then, and they, they invested, you know, millions of dollars in ads. And the Arizona Education Project was, like, all over, and they were talking about how great things are. But what they have are twisted numbers and, you know, anybody who they can get who will say a parent, they're a parent and support it. What we have, though, is, is the truth. And we have our experiences and we have overwhelmingly teachers who are sharing their stories. And that, that, that goes beyond what money can buy. That goes beyond any sort of big money lobbyist ad. We have the truth. And that's, that's what I think we're going to be doing is we're going to be speaking our truth and we're going to be talking with teachers and we're going to be having teachers talk and share their truth just like they are right now and going around and collecting the signatures and saying, hi, it's great to meet you. I'm a kindergarten teacher. This is why we need this. This is why it's so important to me. And that is powerful. And, um, you know, just reporting on, on, on the movement since it took hold, um, I've heard a, a, opinions all across the board regarding the teacher walkout and Red for Ed, and some people are saying this, this needed to happen. Uh, some people are saying teachers shouldn't have walked out and, and you know they should be in the classroom, and, and what you guys did was not okay. Um, recently, I spoke with a campaign manager who kind of, uh, uh, for, for a Democratic candidate um, in LD20, and she mentioned that, um, you know, uh, she actually said that, that teachers waited too long <laughs> to, to go out. You know, this was something that was kind of an issue for, for, for years. So um, beyond, um, outside of, of West Virginia teachers, um, 
going on strike and 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 really just kickstarting this this wave that we saw across the country. What was the main ingredient? You know, what was the main uh, attribution for for teachers walking out? In your, in your, for the movement to, you know, starting, in your opinion? I think it's, I think you can sum it up in one word, and it's frustration. Teachers are frustrated of having to come into classrooms that don't have enough seats for all the students. They're frustrated of not having a curriculum. They're frustrated of their students not being at a third grade reading level, even though they're in eighth grade, because we simply can't invest in their education. We don't have the proper materials. They're frustrated because they can't buy a house, even though they've been teaching for 20 years, and they can't afford health insurance. So that, that frustration has been building and building. I think the person you spoke to in LD20, um, they have their finger on the pulse that we it's been happening for too long. And so it's been building and building and building. And yeah, it probably could have happened five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. But that pressure has built now since all of those cuts. And that's what really um, ignited this fire. Really, all I did was, was start the conversation. And teachers said, we're ready. Let's do it. Although it is odd, you mentioned that it seems that teachers are on board more so with the radical step of let's walk out and shut down our schools. They're not as eager, it seems, to say, let's go to the ballot box and take a ballot initiative there. I think initially they they weren't because they had they had seen what the what the issue was firsthand, and I think they some thought that we could keep applying pressure. But then once they left, they really realized that we need to take that next step. And I think there is you know now I think there there might be more energy for that than for the walkout. And um, does that mean that everybody's out? Do we have seventy five thousand people out circulating petitions again? I don't know. But um, so the energy level is different, but I think you're going to see it at the ballot box. And that'll be the test when um, I think just about every single educator in the state will vote yes for an invest in ed. And I think that'll be an even higher majority than voted yes with their feet and came down to the Capitol for the walkout when we had 75,000. Well, we'll be following your activities closely. For our final segment, we bring you Spill the Tea. Richard, what kind of gossip do you have on your beat these days? Well, there's a lot of tidbits we pick up on stories, and Ricardo and I did one Sunday, and there was a tidbit that we just didn't get into the story. So I'll spill some tea about Noah, and he can react to it. This is breaking. <laughs> the leader of Red for Ed, up until the beginning of the movement, did not own a single red T-shirt. Noah, your reaction. Is this true? That's true. I can confirm that. Um, yeah, I didn't have any red shirts, and it was... Tuesday night, and I remember sitting there like, oh, I have to put on a red shirt tomorrow morning. And I went to Goodwill and bought one for like two ninety nine. It was just like all red. I was like, all right, this is this is it. Because yeah, I was just uh, so focused on uh, you know getting the word out, checking the Facebook, how many people are going to be out there that I totally forgot. Like, oh, I'm going to need a shirt too. And now, how many red shirts do you own? I'm up to I think five now, and I still have that original um, all red Goodwill shirt. Can't throw that thing away, <laughs> Ricardo. You have some tea to spill. Just an observation regarding the fallout of the um, agenda item that the State Board of Education was set to discuss then pulled out regarding, you know, whether the State Board had any legal authority to uh, discipline teachers who participated in the Red Fred walkout. Um, you know, this was something that was spearheaded by State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Diane Douglas. Um, there was an outcry on social media. Um, really a lot of people questioning what what why is this even on the agenda so um monday you know we we i was at the board meeting 
um, really quiet. I mean, you know, the state board did not talk about the kind of the elephant in the room. There were certainly teachers there uh, with Red Fred who who were ready to speak, but um, it, I mean, it ultimately ended up being a dud on that end. Uh, we'll see what happens with the state board and whether or not this is something that they will be discussing in future meetings. And. According to the Secretary of State's office, a snapshot of their new uh, circulator registrants for the Clean Energy Ballot Initiative show that dozens and dozens and dozens of paid out-of-state folks uh, are now in Arizona to gather signatures for the Clean Energy Initiative. This initiative would require APS and other regulated utilities to get 50% of their power from renewables by 2030. I'm wondering if this is a sign that they might not have enough signatures or they're worried that they might not get there. Uh, I don't know why else you'd bring in so many uh, from out of state. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Gaggle podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. At Ricardo underscore Cano one. At Aaliyah Rao. And at Relis Writings, R-U-E-L-A-S Writings. And I'm at Noah with a capital N and then underscore Carvelis with a capital K. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Carly Henry and Sierra Juarez. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.